and welcome to a new episode of the StatCast uh, with your hosts, Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman. Today, we are talking about the MLB offseason. We're excited. It's going to start very soon. And we've got esteemed guest Daniel Maltz on here today. Daniel, how you doing? I'm hanging in there, fellas. How about you? Well, it, I don't know when you're going to hear this, if the election will be decided or not. This is probably going to be relatively irrelevant in like two or three days. But yeah, we're trying to distract from that anxiety. Yeah, the problem is uh, the election is not going to be stopped talking about in probably a week. Yeah, well, we are talking baseball today. Yeah, thank God this isn't politics. Yeah, that would be this would be a lot messier of a podcast. That's the last thing I need right now is to talk more politics. I'd yeah. so much prefer to talk some baseball. Yes, we're going to have baseball for you guys this week. We're going to have a preview of basketball's offseason next week. But first... Anderson Coo- uh, um Milo Hamilton. Swinging. And welcome back to the podcast. So we are looking at what doesn't seem to be an incredibly exciting offseason in free agency, seeing as how there are only a few players who people would consider legitimate stars in their prime, but it should be at the very least an interesting offseason. There are not that many teams willing to spend with the COVID pandemic and everything going on. But what we've got for you are some very interesting um, observations of what we've got, what we're seeing, what we think is going to happen. And uh, Sam, why don't you get us started? Uh, first of all, we, we kind of got to go uh, along the lay of the land of, you know, who's the potential to, you know, dip into these free agents and see um, who's actually going to shell out the money. So of the, I have, I believe, not 10 big market teams here. Um, I have their totals that they can spend before they'll start being in the luxury tax. This projected post arbitration. Yes. So Red Sox have forty million left left to spend. Nice. And I think we should go down the list and say, you know, do we think that they should use this forty million, or should they wait until they have more money next year when some more contracts are expiring? I mean, with the forty million sized hole in their luxury taxes, an interesting number, but. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I don't know what they could possibly spend that on. They are well on their way to the dumpster of the AL East, and I can't imagine anybody would want to come to Boston right now that would help alleviate that amount of money that's available to spend. Right now, they look like they're on track to be even worse than the Baltimore Orioles, which you know a year ago, nobody would have thought was possible. But for me, the Red Sox just aren't going to attract anybody. People want to get out, not come in. Yeah, one thing about the Red Sox is that Obviously, they have a roster which won the championship two years ago, but so they still have a bunch of talent on that roster. Or when I say a bunch, I mean they have some good talent on that roster and players like Rafael Devers. But like you have guys like Andrew Benintendi who have sort of regressed. Uh, Chris Sale had Tommy John surgery. Mookie Betts is gone. Eduardo Rodriguez, we don't know if he's going to be all right to ever pitch again. And so this team, it's like... 
they almost kind of, rebuilding seems to be their best thing to do. Rafael Devers, if you trade him to a team that's looking to contend and needs a third baseman, then you're going to get a lot more for him than you got for Mookie Betts, I think. And I just don't know what to do with the rest of the talent because if you weren't the Red Sox, like one of the best teams in baseball, you would almost definitely say like, yeah, time to rebuild. I don't think Devers is the piece you want to trade though because he's young enough that he can, you know, in five or six years, four or five years maybe, when the Red Sox start to become competitive again, he'll still be productive. Does he want to be there is my question. Because if the, if the team is just bad all around him and he's wasting his prime years just in a rebuilding franchise. What has given you any indication that he hasn't, that doesn't want to be here? It's not that there's an indication that he doesn't want to be there. It's just sort of the idea of why would you want to be there? It's just we've seen a lot of players in the past not be super happy with the situations they've been in. I don't know. There's another team that I want to talk about, but like the Colorado Rockies and they're possibly going to trade Nolan Arenado this offseason. They also might trade Trevor Story this offseason. Arenado has really never been on a very competitive team. And so... Well, he's been on a couple of Rockies teams that have made the playoffs. They just had very hasty departures from those postseasons. They just ran They just ran to the roadblock that is Ian Desmond. Yeah, the issue with Arenado, personally, is, first of all, is that like he's on the team through 2026. And while he does have an opt-out after next season... Oh, actually, he does have an opt-out after next season. So that sort of uh, encourages the Rockies, who probably know that he should be able, even if he isn't going to make $32.5 million, uh for the next five years after 2021, should at least have be competitive there and probably would get on a better a team that's willing to spend more on him. So this is kind of their time to do it. Well, they ha- at least have the possibility. And so for the Red Sox, obviously, Devers' contract is... Not near anywhere as close to like giving him an option to leave, but that's someone you almost consider. I don't know. The Arenado situation seems a little funky to me. It kind of reminds me of what the New York Giants ended up doing with Odell Beckham Jr., which is they signed him to a massive extension the year before they traded him. When now I think when you consider that Arenado did not have a great 2020 and that he's got this huge contract that he'd be a buffoon to opt out of with how much money he could make. After the opt-out, I mean, if you put those two things together, I think his trade value is a lot lower than what it would have been if they had tried to trade him either before he signed, you know, before he signed this contract or, you know, before the start of the 2020 season. I mean, as I said, when you combine his tough season with the fact that he has for a long time not gotten along with the Rockies organization and even some of his teammates, he's a huge competitor, but that leads to a lot of, a lot of dicey moments in the dugout and, I would bet that the Rockies do want to trade him, but I don't know if they're going to get what they think is worth it for him. I'm surprised that you didn't go for the baseball comparison, like the Stanton thing. He signed this huge Albatross contract and then with he an was opt traded. Out. With an opt-out before several more years of uh, $30 million. It's a little bit different, though. I mean, Stanton signed the deal four years before he was traded. This was literally the—I mean, the reason I went with Odell is because they were—him and Arenado are— of equal stardom respective to their leagues and they are also arguably of equal talent respective to how you evaluate talent in their leagues but they're also both unfortunately as we're starting to see equally prima donnas their circumstances seem prima donnas yeah i mean arenado i mean there's plenty of videos of arenado really getting into it with his teammates in the dugout and you can argue that that's really to kind of 
egg them on and get them to kick it into the next gear. But it's also, you know, a symbolic of the fact that he just doesn't think he and the Rockies aren't really vibing with how they want to conduct themselves and how competitive and how fiery they want to look and play when they're on the field. Yeah, that's that's a problem that you have a lot when you've got an ex- like one or two extremely talented players, but not really the resources to build around them. Maybe you've made some bad draft picks like we've seen with so many pitchers who have gone through Colorado, which who are also, we should say, hurt by being in Colorado. But it's kind of not great that Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado have been so good on the same team for a while and they barely have anything to show for it. Certainly not like a World Series appearance. Uh, and our, about Arenado's production this season, I must say that he was hurt. And while he only missed 12 games, he just had these like this bone bruise. He had left AC joint inflammation. I can understand him just not succeeding as well this season compared to previous seasons. And yeah, he missed her consistency also because he's played at least 155 games in each of the previous five seasons with a WRC plus of at least 120 every year. Do you want to talk about another interesting team with a third baseman that could be on the trading block? Are we talking about the Cubs? We're talking about the Cubs. Ooh, tell me about them. They have $36 million of cap space, none of which I think they should use because, well, they saw that they can't hit at all and that all their hitters are, you know, either due for contracts or just good trade bait. I mean, Bryant is literally the number one, you know, trade candidate for them that could really signal for them to start over. And I don't think there's any um, love lost between the Cubs and their fans if they start to rebuild now. I mean, sure, it was kind of a quick window of like three or four years of kind of contention, but they did win the World Series, which I think gives them a kind of license to start, you know, the rebuilding process. And unlike the Red Sox, they kind of have a few prospects which they can build around. What do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, I I agree that I don't think the Cubs should spend any of that money because with the way that a lot of their recent big free agent contracts have gone, if they do spend it, it's probably going to be all in one place for somebody who's definitely not worth it. But in general, I I don't know how much money I would want to spend on on Chris Bryant. I mean, I know that, you know, trade talks involving him have been as heated as ever. I think if he becomes a free agent after 2021, right? Uh, his rookie was 2015. Yeah, he'll be a free agent. We know we know the whole Chris Bryant situation where the Cubs very infamously held him down through most of April so that yeah, so that they could get an extra season before his free agency. He should have been based on how ready he was for the season. He should have been a free agent after this year, but instead he's going to be a free agent after next year when there's going to be a very deep free agency class on the left side of the infield with players like Francisco Lindor, Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, um, Carlos Correa, but Javier Baez. Yeah. I mean, think about it, but then, I mean, Seager, Seager, wait, right. Arenado, possibly. Seager, yes, definitely Seager. Man, if you're looking for a shortstop, just wait a year. That's crazy. Literally. Yeah, shortstop, but shortstop is a relatively deep position in the league, at least among teams who are willing to spend on shortstops. Like, especially considering the news we just saw today about, you know, the Indians saying we are making Lindor available. Exactly. Like, that's the same kind of issue that we have with Mookie Betts. The Indians are going to get someone who doesn't pay top dollar for him, pays maybe 70 cents on the dollar, maybe 60 cents on the dollar, and they get Lindor for a year and 
the Dodgers won the World Series with Mookie Betts. And even if Frankie Lindor is a top 10 player, not a top two player in baseball, I think that's still a phenomenal move for a team because he is also a leader and a very fun player to play with. The, the whole league will hate the Dodgers even more than a lot of fans already do if they're the ones who get Lindor. They should go for him. Well, here's the thing. You guys really think they're hated? I've, I kind of like the Dodgers now that they actually won something. Yeah, I, I was happy that the Dodgers won the World Series. I was too. I mean, I did not want to see the Tampa Bay Rays win it, and I'm glad to see the Dodgers finally not choke away a chance to win a World Series. They've made three in the last four years, and as we know, they've made every postseason, won every NL West since 2013. It's about dang time they finally brought one home. But at this point, you get, I mean, I just, where's Lindor going to play? What on earth do you need him for? For the Dodgers? Yeah, no, I don't think he makes sense for the Dodgers anymore. I think yeah. they kind of were interested in him because they kind of, like, man, Seager's kind of on the shelf right now. You could put Seager at third base. Justin Turner doesn't seem to be anybody's favorite person right now. He could also be DH. He's also a free agent because... Oh, Turner's a free agent this offseason? Is he not? Oh, yeah, he is. You're right. I do remember that. So, yeah. I mean, if you're not looking to bring Turner back then you could have like for one year an infield of Seeger and Lindor on the left side and they might both leave after that but doesn't that also create the possibility of the next chapter of a Jeter A-Rod situation they're both shortstops who are excellent hitters who then they're you know obviously Lindor is probably the best defensive shortstop in the league but Corey Seeger is certainly not bad I mean I wonder when you have two young studs like that on the same side of the same infield if that might not create a similarly uh fiery and feisty situation between those two the reason i kind of doubt that is because it seems like both are kind of happy players neither is really a spotlight getter like both a rod and jeter were it's not like Corey seager has i don't know some crazy reputation for clutch or francisco lindor was this guy who's the most touted prospect in the generation and also with the wait, shift wait. nowadays what I feel like he feel like he kind of was Lindor? Not not in the same sense that A-Rod was. Not in the same sense that A-Rod was. Lindor yes, wasn't even I've, top 10 From pick. actual sources, I've heard that Lindor considers himself to be very much a leader of his team. I'm sure he does. Same with Mookie Betts. I'm sure he's a leader of his team. I'm just saying that, uh, first of all, Corey Seager doesn't strike me as a leader to his team. And second of all, both Lindor and Corey Seager are going to be free agents in 2021. And you have to spend just a staggering amount of money to keep both. So I don't think they would. I'm just saying you can get a title. So here's the thing that I think we should put out there. We're considering Seager is Jeter in this situation, right? No, is A-Rod. No, what? sort of. Well, no way. In the sense of he would move to third base. No, no, I'm I'm talking the personality. Personality-wise, Lindor's, I mean, there's no, Lindor's A-Rod. Seager isn't a Jeter. Seager isn't an A-Rod or a Jeter, though. Seager is... What Seager's a Jeter, he's kind of laid back and away from the spotlight. He's laid back. His game is much more is much more centralized around his offensive game. His defense is it's not quite like Jeter. I mean, Jeter's defense was negligible, beyond negligible, but the worst defensive player in MLB history. All right, let's cool it. We don't need to be roasting Derek Jeter tonight. Derek Jeter can always catch strays, in my opinion. Derek Jeter was an accumulator, that's all I'll say. Accumulator of Really, really terrible defensive seasons. Okay, well, I think I think we've gone far <laughs> enough. <laughs> but no, I I don't think it's quite the same kind of thing. I think it's more like a Correa Bregman situation, except neither of them are hated by most of MLB. Correa and Bregman are both stars who are fun to watch, but all but 
Uh, yeah, Correa's gonna be a free agent like. that that year too, isn't he? Yes, he is. That's gonna be quite the club. That top four of Seager, Story, Lindor, and Correa. That's stupid. <laughs> it's incredible. Like those four guys could easily combined net like one and a half billion dollars in contracts. At least. Oh my goodness. Especially considering, I mean, won't they're all going to be between like twenty six and twenty eight, right? When they hit the market, I know Correa. Correa is going to be young. I believe three of them were in the same draft, if not all four. Correa was 1-1 in the draft. Correa was 2012. I believe Lindor was 2011, and then Seager and Story were also were 2012 as well. But I don't remember what if that's correct. What about correct. Baez? Javi Baez was seventh in Correa's draft, or was he seventh in Lindor's draft? In what he was one of the two. And we're saying that they're probably they're probably what born in 93, 94-ish. I'm looking at the numbers right now. So Lindor and Seager are both born in 93. Yeah, so that would make them probably 28 or 29. Lindor yeah. and Baez were 8 and 9 in uh, 2011. Um, and I guess Seeger and Story and Correa were 2012. But yeah, so it's all people coming around around the same age. I believe they were all drafted out of high school. And so, yeah, it's a bunch of young guys. Yeah. So they're all going to be 27 or 28 when they hit the free agent market, which is just Yeah, that's, that's money. That is a lot of money that's going to happen. I know, like, somehow, if you told me in 2016 that Javi Baez would actually be the fifth best shortstop uh, when he hit free agency, I would think you're crazy, but that's well, what it remember, seems Remember, like 2016, 2016, Javi Baez struck out at such a high rate. I would believe that through and through. The one thing that Javi Baez has not been able to shake, and even in, his, in 2018 when he was nearly the MVP of the National League, is he's still, without a doubt, in the, when it comes to those five shortstops, he's the freest swinger by an enormous long shot. And I don't care how talented of a hitter you are or how talented of a fielder you are, if you strike out like Javi Baez does, you are not as valuable of a hitter as those other four guys. Yeah. At least if you don't walk. Yeah, and the other guys are all great uh, position players. And I just... So Trevor Story was drafted in 2011 in the second round. So yeah, all three guys... All five guys are in the first or second round of 2011 and 2012. And all are superstars all born within about 18 months of each other. So they're relatively the same age. Here, Wait, I have something crazier. What? They're probably not going to sign until like February because they're going to wait for each other to sign. That's true. You've got some good stuff. So I don't know what we're going to get. I would bet that the top four are all going to wait for each other to sign. I would bet that Javi Baez is not going to be looped in with these guys. Yeah, he does not have the same track record of elite offensive and defensive production combined into his season. I mean, every other player has has had one of those in at least in at least every season. I almost wouldn't be surprised to see him get like the first contract, but it'd be a, an actually relatively big one that sets the standard for the other ones. Where someone decides that they want Javi Baez and they don't want to strike out, and they know he might not be worth it, but. They want to do it before everything gets too expensive. That's the, that's exactly why I'm saying that Bias is going to be the first one to sign. It's kind of like what happened between Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole. Once we saw what Steven Strasburg got, given that he was two years older and much more injury prone, we all knew that Garrett Cole was going to get way more than that. And it turns out that, of course, he did. His deal ended up being worth $79 million more. So if Bias signs a sizable contract, that can only mean for the other four guys that they're going to ask for and we'll get from somebody a deal way bigger than his because I think you guys would both agree. I think we all said it, that out of the five shortstops, Baez is clearly fifth best. 
here's the thing though unlike the harper machado saga they all play the same position so like they're gonna have the same teams like offering them do you think this the teams are just gonna offer them the same contract no way then it's then that means it's gonna be very interesting because they're gonna have to to consider offers they're gonna try to beat each other there's gonna be offers from different teams for different amounts it's going to be very tough to decide for all of those players and teams which which of them to go after. I think an, I think an important thing to remember with the with those five shortstops is that they each bring they 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 each have a different top strength. They're not identical players, and so perhaps that will that will definitely skew wh- how teams that are interested in signing them rank them. You know, I, I think you could say that Carlos Correa's clear cut top strength is his ability to hit for power. I think Corey Seager's is his ability to hit for a high batting average and not striking out too much. I think Trevor Story's is also his power, but you could also argue that he's probably the most well-rounded out of those five because he's a fantastic hitter. He's a very good runner and a very good defender. Lindor brings the notion of being the best fielder out of the five and also the only switch hitter out of the five. And Baez is the highest risk, high reward who makes all the flashy plays. They each bring something different to the table. I just, I, I wish it were next year then. <laughs> I, cause I, these, these are like contracts that I want to see play out. I know we got to get this off season first. So yes, getting back to this off season, Daniel, who's someone that you think could make a really big splash this off season? Well, I think a player who could easily sign a deal that's bigger or longer than anyone really expects. I think it's Michael Brantley. I think Brantley has aged very well into his 30s. He has not slowed down at all in terms of his hitting capabilities. In the pa- over the past 2 years, he's 20th in the league with a 134 WRC+. If you wanted to give give him a 2 or 3 year deal, I think his still serviceable defense and more than serviceable bat is going to make him an attractive target for a lot of teams who need a left-handed hitter who's not going to cost them too much money. I'm going to throw a comparison at you. Nick Markakis. Markakis is three or four years older than you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying like as like at the same age. I think Markakis was worse, but I think Brantley signed a similar money deal because of the depressed... Uh... I think it's just a comparison in terms of like, we'll always give you a professional at bat and we'll always be reliable. Yeah. Brantley seems, Brantley seems to be just as good of a hitter as ever. And you can never have too many left-handed hitters as we've seen from teams like Tampa Bay. And so, so- Oh, sorry, sorry. No, also worth mentioning that if you want to, I actually think Sam's comparison is better than I, 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 I could tell Harrison, you weren't really on board with that comparison and I really wasn't either. But after tw- after his age 34 season in 2018, I mean, that was a year Mark Hakus played every game and batted 297 with an OPS plus of 116 with 43 doubles and 14 home runs. He won, he won a gold glove and a silver slugger. Now, I would take anything like that offensively from a 34-year-old. I think Brantley's a really underrated short-term free agent gem. Also, also worth noting is that Markakis. I think I, I I looked it up like many times in in the past, but he hasn't hadn't played less than 150 games for like 10 straight years. Yeah, Brantley is the epitome of, of consistency at a point like this, and so he's in a season where like so many Astros were struggling. He he stayed consistent throughout the season. He was good in the playoffs. 
like you said, he works professional bad. Like he walks a lot, which is a skill that absolutely is going to age. His swing is so nice and easy and just, a f- you know, he's going to get on base at least once every game. And so having that in there, even like it's, we'll see if he's like a beneficiary of the DH seemingly expanding to both leagues, because if you sign him to a deal, that's more than two years, which I don't know how likely that is, then you're absolutely going to be playing him as a dh a lot since like he was not terrific as a left fielder even in the astros is very short left field this year but yeah there could be a lot of teams who are interested in him do you you have any teams in mind or i mean i don't know if i have any teams specifically i think since we brought up nick markakis i i think especially when you combine the fact that they had a hitter like him in uh markakis and with marcelo zuna possibly signing elsewhere the atlanta braves would be a very interesting team to look out for him, I think. And uh, I think maybe – I think the Astros could also easily sign him back. I mean, with the with Jordan Alvarez being really their go-to DH when he's healthy, I mean, his defense was abhorrent when he was healthy. And I can't imagine that since I believe he's coming off a torn ACL that they're going to immediately throw him back into the fire of playing in the outfield. Those two guys are definitely possibilities. I don't think the Cardinals should be left off the table. They're always – the a team that seems to be interested in like B tier free agent outfielders. He's a classic Cardinals guy. I yeah. Should say. What about Phillies? What about Phillies? Nah. Brave. I like the Braves. Oh, I like the Braves, and it's worth noting that Braves have ninety million dollars in cap in room before luxury tax. They're gonna spend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's just Brantley. Are the Braves a team that you see spending a lot of money? Because yes, we're yes. gonna get to we're gonna get to my team. I think pretty shortly, but this. Hey, this uh, NL East is really interesting this offseason. It's be it's the most fascinating division to watch without question. No, yeah, tell me about the Braves. Well, yeah, so the Braves they have ninety million dollars of cap space. They need a third baseman, as we saw in the playoffs. Yeah. They really want Ozuna back, and they need a fourth or fifth starting pitcher. They need depth. Ab- they need they need depth. depth, and so I think targets for them. Justin Turner might be a target for them. He could probably be had for cheap. Ozuna might be more expensive. Bauer might be more expensive if you're really looking to load it up. Um, you could go for Gaussman if you're, you know, he already played with the Braves at one point for that uh, playoff run in 2018, I believe. And he had a really great year um, in 2020. Do you splurge on a guy like Stroman? I don't know if you splurge on a guy like Stroman, but I think a b- budget option might be Taiwan Walker, who is very young. I, yeah, I also think that could be Young but injury prone. Injury prone, yes, but he'll probably be cheap. And the fact is, I think he's 28 and he's a free agent. One quick note I want to, I would want to make about those other two starting pitchers you brought up. I don't think Kevin Gossman will become available to sign with the Braves. I think that if Gossman turns down an $18.9 million qualifying offer from the Giants, he is a moron. He would never in a million years get that kind of money and annual value on the market. So I think he's going to take it. and. I don't think Marcus Stroman is worth giving a, a long-term deal and certainly not an expensive deal. I think he's the most overrated free agent starting pitcher. I also agree on Stroman. I Stroman, we know, can be good, but he and Chris Archer are two guys to me who they were really good in sort of a different league, in the league as it looked a few years ago. And now in the time of launch angle and exit velocity their stuff kind of doesn't play as well especially archers but walk but 
also Strowman to some degree. I know he had a good 2019, obviously, where he did have four and a half wins above replacement, which was really good. He had a good 2019, but it was far better while he was on Toronto. He did far worse as a Met. I realize the sample size is about half as large, but his ERA was almost a run higher. His fielding independent pitching was a difference of plus 0.64 from the Blue Jays to the Mets. And if you want to talk about consistency, you have to look somewhere else when it comes to Stroman. I mean, you look at his career, his ERAs have been in seasons of at least 20 starts or around 20 starts. His ERA has been as low as 3.09, which is fantastic, to as high as 5.54. And in the last three years, 17, 18, and 19, because obviously he didn't play in 20, which really complicates his free agency, but his ERA in his last three years, 3.09 in 2017, 5.54 in a shortened 2018, and then down to 3.32 in 2019. You're, okay, but what are his FIPS in those years? His FIPS were actually really similar, so you got me there. But you're taking yeah, a his FIPS were pretty good. He's got a pretty good career FIP at three sixty four. Yeah, but you're taking a gamble on a guy who hasn't pitched in a year and a guy who he seems to be more suited for the American League at this point. You really can't judge it because he made eleven starts in the NL. But my main point here with Stroman, and this is the last I'll say on him, and this is why it's so concerning for me, is I feel like because of the potential for upside, plus the fact that he's 29 years old, soon uh, he'll be 30 in the middle of the next season. I think he's going to command a sizable contract, and he I don't think he's worth it, even a little bit. So here's my – I have a few reasons why Stroman is bad. Tell me. First, he's a pitcher who wears a single-digit number. More That's pitchers a, should wear single-digit numbers in my no, opinion. No, no. I, I – We'll get. I'll skim past that, but I think just, everyone in every sucks. sport should wear a single-digit number if it's available. Mike Leake, Marco Gonzalez, Julio Urias, hate him, can't stand him. Nextly, high velocity, sustained low strikeout rate, and high uh, traffic on the rate. bases. High ground yes. ball rate, though. High traffic on the bases, whip of like one point two, one point three area. That with a guy with high velocity, I don't like that. You shouldn't be walking. Like, Zach Davies that throws five miles an hour. You harder. shouldn't be walking three guys per inning if you're not even striking out eight. Yeah, I mean, like his career averages for K nines and BB nines for like how many strike people he strikes out per inning and how many walks per inning. He strikes out around seven point three per per nine innings, and he walks two point six per nine innings, which is not a terrific ratio. He's not a terrific pitcher. He's very middle of the road, but he's gonna get like someone who's better than that. And he's got a career like home run fly ball rate. It's relatively consistent, as a matter of fact, of like 13 and a half, which is weirdly consistent for a relatively high home run fly ball rate. But I don't know. I don't trust him quite enough, even though he has had some really terrific seasons, really dominant seasons in Toronto. Uh, He played for a team that I kind of want to talk about because not only do they have money to spend, but they have a new um ownership group yeah this is my team the mets yeah so talk so harrison talk about them so the mets are so sam how much space do they have between what where they are in the luxury tax 72 million 72 million is pretty good they have i think a fine bullpen seth lugo i really love and he also can switch into being a starter at any point edwin diaz has been a lot of fun as well but Not if you're a Mets fan well I think last year he was okay. Yeah, he was actually pretty good last season, and I'm going to talk about him when I talk about uh, some other stuff later. But it's 
a good team that people had relatively high predictions on that didn't quite meet them. But nevertheless, they there is some talent on that team. Um, and they have a new owner named Steve Cohen, who is, he is the richest owner in baseball. By a three times margin, yes. Yeah, so that's sort of like a Steve Ballmer situation when the guy who literally was a CEO of, or see or son some position at Windows decided to buy the second LA team, and now they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But the Mets, uh, they don't have to spend like they don't have to trade prospects away this season because they actually can spend money. JT Real Muto is obvious. JT Real Muto yes, is incredibly that's, that's the one obvious. that I really want to see. Yeah. So this guy has been bouncing around the NL East. It seems like every team in the NL East has wanted to acquire him for his entire career. The Braves should. Tr- well, sure, the Braves, Darno is decent, but the Braves maybe should try to get him. The Phillies really, really, really need to keep him. He might even be like a good candidate to go back to the Marlins at this mm, point. I like. I think Alfaro's um a good a good player. He's young, younger and cheaper, and I think there's zero chance that Real Muto goes back to the Phillies. To the Phillies, yeah. I think that's a zero percent likelihood. But Real Muto on the Mets makes a lot of sense. They need a catcher really badly. And they, he's not going to be like this insane amount of money. Um, how much do you think he's going to be? What, like uh, five years, 150 million or something like that? Maybe less than that? I th- Maybe even. I, I, no, I think he's going to want more years and more money. More than, thir- more than 30 a year? What, I, what, what, I've, what I've seen is sort of like in like the four years, four, four, like five years, 120, maybe five, six years, 150. Even I'm if thinking like four years, 90 million. JT will never take that full money. The thing about Real Muto is he's, he's like 31 and he's I a catcher. He's not that young, but he sees himself and maybe rightfully so, but he is the best catcher in the league. And when you're the best at your position, I don't care if you're, you know, 26. He's 29, first of all. He's. All right, that makes it a little different. He's not going to. He's going to turn thirty he's in very, spring training. I think he's overrated. I think he's overrated. I do too. I think that a catcher who has had a WRC plus of over one twenty five or higher two of the last three seasons, the year before was in twenty nineteen, it was only one oh eight, and actually hits the ball, actually is a good base runner, which literally no catcher has ever been. I feel like. And is also not only is he the best hitting catcher in baseball, pretty much, he's also one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. That's the kind of guy you get when you want your when you want to buckle down with your staff and just preach consistency. Because he's a guy you can actually depend on every single day to get behind the plate and, and call stuff for your team. So there's another there's another catcher that fits those criteria. That's a free agent, James McCann. James McCann has nowhere near the track record. He actually was not that great of a hitter it was james mccann was an all-star james mccann i don't know if he should have been an all-star but that's a totally real muto is just a lot better uh and obviously how many bases has mccann stolen in his career i ask you that um i think it's more probably more than you think okay maybe it's maybe it's not more than you think that's actually right about where i thought real muto listen he's stolen 44 bases in his career yeah, but, but you're not signing a catcher to steal bases for you. You're not signing it to be Juan Pierre or Billy Hamilton. But, like, he could. He always could. He's going to test the pitcher a little bit. Maybe he actually – a player's running speed is much more valuable in going from first to third on a single or going from second to home on a single than it is stealing bases, obviously. But most catchers can't do that, and Real Muto actually is an athlete. 
which is pretty great. And so Yomuto would be good. He's also a righty. They could use a righty. Um, and someone else they could use and makes a ton of sense, again, for the Mets is George Springer, who is from Connecticut. So he's near the area. He's from New Britain, Connecticut. Um, he can play center field. He can pair up with his old buddy, Jake Marisnik. Uh, this And J.D. Davis. Yeah, and J.D. Davis. What do you do with Brendan Nimmo and Michael Conforto? Yeah, those are two guys who... Those are the other two outfielders. I do not like in center field. I do not think that... I think they can play a passable center field, but they're not the kind of team... They're not like this incredible center field where I feel super comfortable with them. There, I feel a lot better about Springer. They're above average corner corner outfielders. Yeah, which is great and all, but so is Kyle Tucker, but I don't want to see him in center field, which is probably bad news for the Astros next season. But those are two guys who... if. Kyle Tucker doesn't know any other field than right field. <laughs> he played center in the minors, actually, but I don't no, know. No, I know, but he, like, he, I don't think he's ever, after he hits the ball, I don't think he's looked anywhere but right field. <laughs> anyway, so those are two guys who you add. They're prob- that's probably the majority of the spending that you do during the offseason. Uh, the pitching is maybe not quite as dependable. You're kind of hoping Edwin Diaz is great again, but that's suddenly the best lineup in the division, including the Braves, including uh, the Phillies, including the Nationals. Sorry, we, 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 I mean, first and foremost, I realize that we, you know, now that Steve Cohen, who's got a net worth of almost $15 billion, has bought the Mets. And will pay the luxury tax, I figure. Yeah, but here's the thing. I, we have to see this, and this is why I'm apprehensive to say that half the top 10 free agents are going to go to the Mets or something like that. I know it's not actually half, but... We have to see. Having a wealthy owner doesn't always mean that you're going to spend the most money. The Oakland Athletics owner actually ranks top 10 in net worth among all the MLB owners, and yet the A's are always one of the least, or always have one of the smallest payrolls. I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, that's going to be the case with the Mets, but I think we should take with a grain of salt what Steve Cohen is planning on doing, how much money he's willing to shell out for the Mets to spend money on. I don't I I'm not so sure they're going to land all of these premier free agents. Here's something I've heard through the grapevine. Oh, uh, are you uh, keyed in? Uh, I'm keyed in. Trevor Bauer's agent, Rachel Luba, has indicated that Steve Cohen's willing to open his pockets. Yes, that is great news. Probably like I'm sure Trevor Bauer went up to Steve Cohen and was like, all right, you paying me 40 million for 10 years or no? What? No, I think he would want 40 million dollars for one year. Bauer? Yes, that would yes, not. It's true. That would not. Su- Honestly, I, you know, I'm looking at a lot of these, you know, trade rumor and offseason rumor sites, and they're all saying Bauer is going to take a three or four year deal. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, no, I think he's staying to one year and I think he's just going to get an absurd. I think he's going to get an absurdly high amount of like 30 plus million. He's going to be like Reed Johnson, except that, you know, Reed Johnson played his entire MLB career signing one year deals. The difference, of course, here is that Trevor Bauer's one of one of the best pitchers in this league and Reed Johnson <laughs> backup outfielder but the same idea i it would not surprise me if bauer spent his entire life in free agency living off one-year deals it's on it might be better for him honestly my question is he's going to get these qualifying offers every offseason and so if you're a team that signs him for one year how comfortable are you just signing a guy for one year when uh, you're gonna lose a draft pick because of it that in my opinion would turn teams away from signing him and be like actually I would like three years out of this. Maybe I give you an opt-out after year two, but I'm not so excited about doing this. And that's why 
Well, that's how I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be like three years with an opt out after one. Listen, it's easy for him to say that he's going to do that. Also, an opt out over after one is kind of dumb because I don't think any teams are actually going to do that. But look, if you're Trevor Bauer, obviously, yeah, this is what you want to do. But maybe just bet on yourself and probably you probably are going to actually get more money trying to sign a longer term deal than you are just doing it for one offseason. Bauer is just such a strange and unique personality in this league that even if financially and realistically it's smarter to go for a two or three year deal, he just seems like the kind of crazy kind of guy, the kind of really out there polarizing figure. He seems like the kind of guy who would do it. That's all that's all I'm saying. I'm saying which teams, which teams are willing to sign a guy for one year and lose a draft pick because of it? That doesn't seem to be... 100% the Mets. The Yankees. Not the Mets. I don't think the Mets are willing to do that. I don't think the Mets think that this is their only chance of winning, so it's time to sign Trevor Bauer now or never. Yankees. Yankees makes more sense. The Yankees The Yankees already have so much money invested in their team, and let's be honest, their, their youth, their core... He's not signing with the Yankees, and I'll tell you why. Garrett Cole's on that team. <laughs> That's what everybody thinks. But what do you mean no, they hate each other. They hate they, they each actually other. do hate each other. Garrett Cole thinks Trevor Bauer is a tool. Trevor Trevor Bauer has hinted at the idea that he would not leave the Yankees off the table in order for the opportunity to bury the hatchet. Maybe Garrett Cole would want them to lead Trevor Bauer off the table. It's the same thing as free agents saying, you know, I'll leave my incumbent team on the table. If the Yankees gave Trevor Bauer $40 million for a year, and I, you know, they, it doesn't matter what Garrett Cole thinks. Garrett Cole doesn't sign the free agents. Brian Cashman does. And if Cashman thought that Bauer was worth giving a one-year $40 million deal to or three years, 90-something million dollars, and Bauer said yes, I think at the end of the day, they would put their differences aside because they're going to make an unbelievable, would, they would make an unbelievable one-two tandem at the top of a rotation that would easily give the Yankees one of the best top twos in the league. And I think if you wanted to win a championship bad enough, then yeah, you grow up and you bury the hatchet. Your rivalry, I get that. Your, I, your, rivalry, I know. Died, yeah. your rivalry died ten years ago when they got drafted. Like move on. I do see it, even though I had completely forgotten about how much they did dislike each other at UCLA. Yeah, Yankees are a good choice. The only issue I see with the Yankees is I'm not sure how willing they are to spend money. We know, like, oh, uh, the Yankees are the richest team. The Yankees are not opening their wallets. Have not been opening their wallets in recent years. So. I'm yeah, so real, what? what? Wait, what? <laughs> they haven't been. Wait. The Yankees. Okay, who who the Yankees signed last offseason? Besides Garrett Cole. <laughs> you, you can't just say besides fine. Garrett Cole. Okay, fine. I forgot about Garrett the Cole. The richest obviously. starting pitcher of all time. You can't just say forget Garrett Cole. Okay, fine. Forget Garrett Cole. But the Yankees, it seems to me like most offseasons, I guess not last offseason, but Sam, how close are they to the luxury tax right now? 24 million. Okay, so see the, my problem with the Yankees, and we know that they want Lemayhew in... back. Do they? I mean, yes. do they want Tanaka back? That's exactly what I was about to say. Lemayhew and Tanaka, and that's it. They better not re-sign Masahiro Tanaka. They better oh, not. Oh, really? No He's a way. postseason pitcher and nothing else. Thank you, Sam. I completely agree. He has proven in the last three or four years that he is nothing more than a number four starter in the regular season, maybe number three. And you know what? He'll up until 2020, he could be trusted as your playoff ace. And guess what? He made two starts in 2020's play, playoffs and got shelled in both of them. He's not young. He's not good. 
And if I have to sacrifice some money that should be going to DJ LeMahieu to pay Tanaka, and then LeMahieu goes and signs somewhere else, that would be Brian Cashman's biggest mistake. DJ LeMahieu has been the MVP of the Yankees the last two years, and if he signs anywhere else, that is the dumbest move Cashman has made since signing Jacoby Ellsbury. Also, LeMahieu benefits tremendously from being in that park. Yeah, I think LeMahieu stays. He's said he wants to stay, but also Aaron Boone has said he wants to bring back Tanaka. I think Tanaka on a one-year, like six, seven, eight million dollar deal is totally fine. Does not mess with their chance of signing. Don't think he's going to take that at age thirty-two or thirty-one. I don't think he's going to take that, especially since he's already had such a big contract. Yeah, but he already has had such a big contract. Maybe he wants to be somewhere he can trust and all, and maybe restore his stock for a season in a place where he knows Aaron Boone's going to treat him right. The only place that he's known in America. Yeah, it's possible. We'll see. But yeah, he does have to fix his pitches a little bit because um, his his fastball is not very good right now. I think he should just use his splitter as his fastball. Yeah, exactly. Or his his slider. His slider, oh jeez, it's it's a listen. It's a great slider and a great splitter, but maybe he a team uses him as a bullpen guy, a la Julio Urias, in the postseason. But no way, nah. They're not going to spend that much money just for that. I wish more teams were willing to do that, but unless we have another weird season, you can we're not do that with it. though. Is a guy like Urias who can't pitch deep into games and also would be much more injury prone as a starter. You need a perfect combination of. Stuff. What about glass? Glass now fits that bill. Yeah, honestly, oh, I, I think they. Sh- I think they should. I think Glass now is such a high risk starting pitcher. What about Paxton? <laughs> we all know that Paxton cannot get through the th- first or second inning of any start without. Or the up a first run. or second half of a season without getting injured. James, pa- thank you. I was about to say, I wrote a column a couple of years ago, re- ripping the Yankees for this move when they traded for him because I called him a walking hospital bill. <laughs> and so far, I haven't been proven wrong. Yeah, what did he yeah, do? Him and Ellsbury are just so he hurt, he hurt his back before COVID hit. He like he couldn't basically basically couldn't throw his fastball nearly as fast this season. Oh, it, his fastball looked terrible. I mean, yeah. when Paxton is on his prime, even in games where he's getting the crap beat out of him, he's ninety five plus regularly. And in the few starts he made in twenty twenty, he could barely touch ninety two. Something was yeah. very wrong. Paxton is another guy who's on the wrong side of 30. And if you thought I was against the Yankees re-signing Tanaka, I am tenfold against them re-signing Paxton. The one, okay. thing Tanaka, the one thing Tanaka has going for him over Paxton is that despite his risk of tearing his UCL, so far Tanaka hasn't, and he has been relatively healthy the last couple of years. Wow, I completely forgot about that. That people said that was a ticking time bomb and it hasn't gone off. It's been a ticking time bomb since 2015. And you know what? It can keep ticking as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so I'm going to read you James Paxson's uh, 2020 slash line quickly. It's simple ones. So 664 ERA, 28.9K percentage, 7.8 walk percentage. Now I'm going to read you another stat line and you've got to tell me who it is. Um, 662 ERA, 27.1K percentage, 17.9 walk percentage. Robbie Ray. <laughs> Got it. Wow. Really? Yes. <laughs> Good guess. Robbie I, Ray. You said 17.9 walk percentage, it's, and the bells went off. Oh, that's Robbie Ray. Yeah, the walk percentage is a clear giveaway, but oh my goodness, aren't those similar stats to Paxton for a guy that some people think is actually good? He's not good. He's so bad. Robbie Ray was, I don't, he's ever been good. 
everyone bought into the hype after he had a solid 2017 breakout year, which the, the advanced numbers show it wasn't nearly as great as we all thought. In 2017, he had a FIP of 3.72, which is solid but not great. He was still walking four batters per nine innings. Not to mention that he averaged less than five innings a start, I believe. Uh, if I do a little bit of quick math here, he threw 162 innings in 28 starts. Oh, never mind. It's five and two-third innings a start. But that's still not great. And that was four years ago. Yeah. Robbie Ray he's is... Running, he's not good. Exactly. The issue with Robbie Ray is my theory on him is that he's actually a decent pitcher. He's just the worst decision maker in baseball. If you check out what what Robbie Ray throws, basically, and when he throws so it... So he's Daniel Jones, except that he's bad at making decisions. What are you talking about? Daniel Jones might be the worst at making decisions. Oh my god, people need to stop with this narrative. It's not his fault. It's the offensive line's fault for not protecting him. I mean, I know we're not doing NFL, but I all I will say is that I accept that argument, except for against the Buccaneers. That... Jones's last game against Tampa, that was the best game from the O-line, and his decisions cost him that game. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. They he were... threw one. He threw a dime to Deion Lewis, first first touchdown. But yeah, he, that was one game where I saw he actually had mistakes. Yeah, so yeah, Robbie Ray, just the issue with him is that he, just far too often, he he doesn't seem to trust his fastball. It's not like his fastball is like the worst pitch in the world. I mean, it's not incredible, but like Robbie Ray's fastball is just, yeah. And it's got like, it's in the 84th percentile of spin, but he just on like on three Oh counts, he's going to throw his breaking pitches on three, two counts. He's got like over a two, uh, one third chance of throwing a non, uh, fastball, which is just not something that most people that tells can... me th- that one, he's nibbling and two, he's scared to challenge hitters exactly that's the issue i don't think he trusts his stuff and it's kind of strange to see i i'm not surprised to see robbie ray not trust his stuff i'm also really not surprised to see these truly abysmal statistics from most of his seasons what i've always found so perplexing about robbie ray we see this every now and then with starting pitchers and it almost never works out for them he's a starting pitcher who has managed to carve out a decent career lengthwise by throwing two pitches how many starting pitchers can we i mean Glass now. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Glassnow's career has been far shorter, and he he has never put up any years that are as good as Robbie Ray's. I side. would say Robbie Ray throws throws three pitches, but what, what's the third one? Fastball. I would say his curveball. His he's been throwing curves in 2017. He's got a curve and a slider and a four seamer, and then a two seamer. He barely throws curve and slider do the same thing. Even yeah, even then, how many starting pitch? How many starting pitchers? survive in this league without throwing a changeup. That's what everyone says. You know, a, a relief pitcher can survive in this league without throwing a changeup because you don't see them long enough and they usually have better break or better velocity that they can get away with two pitches. Starting two types of pitches through this. Starting pitchers really can't. The funny can. thing is that Robbie Ray actually used to throw a changeup. Like it was his this pitch he threw the second most often in 2014. The issue was it just got just smacked around to the tune of a 317 batting average. A 488 slugging percentage, which, like, honestly isn't that terrible, but it's at the very least, it's getting hit hard, and it shouldn't be getting hit that hard for a pitch that's supposed to be pretty Well, good. that just demonstrates that he doesn't know how to throw one. Yeah, and so he threw, I believe he threw 30 change-ups uh, in 2020, which is not exactly a lot. This, the pitch he threw most of his fastball, he threw 500 of those. You, t- you talk about a guy who could be a Julio Urias-type guy 
I think Robbie Ray would be a perfect candidate for that. He's a guy who's got good enough stuff where if, you know, more often than not, I think he would be trusted to go through a lineup one time and that's it. He's not a good starting pitcher. He wa- he has been for one year of his career. I think he's a much better, he's much more suited for a super long relief type of role who can be an emergency starter. Before we get into, uh, actually, wait, is Robbie Ray good and convince ourselves of this just by staring at his baseball savant page? I'm going to point you to something else on his baseball savant page where his line drive percentage, actually, the regular MLB average line drive percentage is 25.7%. The regular MLB ground ball percentage is 45.3%. Robbie Ray's ground ball percentage is at 25%, which is where the line drive rate should be. And his line drive rate is an astounding 35.8%, which is over 10% higher than the average MLB player uh, allows line drives. That's not a good thing. He allows barrels 13% of the time, which is more than twice as often as the average MLB pitcher. I don't think Robbie Ray... Robbie Ray just pitches to contact, it seems. Even if his stuff are like are good and honestly, they're... Outside of like some good movement on his fastball, the uh, his other pitches don't really do all that much. Don't talk yourself into Robbie Ray just by dreaming on a 662 ERA and a high strikeout rate. He's not a starting. He's not a good starting pitcher. If a team wants to take a gamble on him and turn him into a reliever, they can. But you have to be aware of the fact that you're going to pay for that with money. And also, he might not want. He might not just. He just might not want to do that. Yeah, but. To be honest, what kind of leverage does he have right now to argue for a sizable contract as a starting pitcher? He's coming off a season. He's 29. He's only 29. He's only 29, but he's coming off a 2020 campaign where he, you know, as you guys talked about, I mean, when you're giving up 2.3 home runs per nine innings and nearly walking a batter per inning and nearly putting two base runners on in every single inning, things cannot be going much worse for you. As such, I think he has no leverage to command a, a deal that he thinks he's worth. He might, I, I know we've talked about Robbie Ray probably more than you guys thought we were, but I just don't think he's worth much of anything. He's got no leverage. <laughs> he's, I would, he would not, he's not even the fifth best left handed starting pitcher on the market this year, in my opinion. And there are not very many good left handed. Uh, starting pitchers on the market this. You think season. Drew Smiley's better? I think Jay Happ is better. <laughs> I think John Lester is better. I also agree. I think James Paxton is better. Don't agree there. Don't agree there. I, I don't do. think James Paxton is a lot better. But uh, I no, again, Robbie, we, Ray might, Robbie Ray might actually pitch. We talked about. We talked. We read the stats. Sometimes if Robbie if Robbie Ray is going to give you a six sixty two ERA, you don't want him to pitch. But if he's going to give you a, t- a two eight nine, what about Mike Miner? I like Mike Miner. I can't get a read on him, honestly. Me neither. I mean, this is a guy who had the second best wins above replacement for starters in the American League, according to baseball reference in 2019. And in 2020, I mean, he was one of these guys where it seemed like everything fell off the rails. He was bad. But then he was good a little bit. No, he wasn't. I thought he was good. His FIP was was over four with both Texas and Oakland. Yeah. And he had an ERA plus 81 in seven games with Texas, 76 in five start, five games, four starts with Oakland. Wasn't good. I think I'm misremembering based on his first start, which I believe was a jam. But yeah, I like Jose Quintana a little bit, at least. Um, I don't know. 
Here's a question for you guys. What do you think of Haseong Kim? I haven't done much research into him. I haven't done much, much research either, but I think he's supposed to be very good with the bat. Yeah. He's this guy. He made his debut uh, in the Korean Baseball League when he was just 18 years old. He was pitch, He was playing like consistently at 19, which is really impressive. And now he's actually hitting the ball really hard. Um, they're going to post him. So he's going to be able to sign basically unlike with the Shohei Otani situation where he couldn't sign for a super long contract or a super high contract. Um, he actually is going to be able to sign with any kind of contract, any kind of length. Is there just a fit that you see for a guy who, again, in the Korean Baseball League, but he did uh, have an... His numbers are not eye-popping when I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, they're not eye-popping. And can you think what Korean-born hitter has had sustained success in Major League Baseball? Yeah. Uh, the last one I can think Choi. of, I mean, fair, but he hasn't had sustained success. And the only other one I could think of of recent memory was Hyunsu Kim, who left oh, who did not hit a home run for about twenty different uh, years with the Orioles. He lasted in the league for maybe two years, not very long, and I'm not here anymore. I mean, Korea is a much better. We see much better translation for pitchers who come from Korea than hitters. So I'm not buying into this. Reminds this reminds me of of Jung Ho Gung. Where did he go? I know here where he went, but. He went to jail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where he went. He had many, many DUIs. I'm not yeah. saying Ha Seong Kim is going to go to jail. I certainly hope not, considering he's I, got... I, I don't know what he would do to go to jail. Yeah. Never. No, no just... of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't this a problem? The only two comparisons we can make in terms of hitters who come from Korea are guys who either haven't had sustained success or have sustained sentences instead of successes. <laughs> what I like That's about a problem him... for me. I like that he had 23 stolen bases last year. He's 25, so he at the very least he's in his prime, and he will be a good base runner. So, and it seems like he'll be a good defender too. So at the very least, I think you're thinking. I think you guys are forgetting about Shinsu Chu. Yeah, he hasn't. I guess so. He's probably the he's best. Really good. He's probably 100%. the best product, but he also hasn't been in his prime for a while. But okay, he was I'll an All Star 20 All Star 2018. Yeah. And I think it might have been an All-Star 2019 as well. Decent signing for the Rangers, like, several years in the future, now looking back at it. Even though it's not, like, I don't know, something that helped them make the playoffs, really. But, yeah, yeah. I, but Shinsu, Shinsu Chu, uh, All-Star in just 2018, not in 19, by the way. Yeah, I'm looking at that now, yeah. But he's had very similar stats. Yes, but he seems to be the exception to the rule. But Oh, yes, I 100% agree with you. Um, I'm looking at the list right now, and I got Rob Ref Snyder. At eighth, eighth most games played. Okay, but then here, <laughs> that's great. one of the great Yankee infield prospect busts. Couldn't hit his weight. But here's a question: How many better shortstops are there on the market right now? There, there's Andrelton Simmons. There's Didi Gregorius. There's Semyon. Marcus Semyon, who's the best shortstop on the market. But if you're, I don't know how many teams are looking for shortstops. But like, I could tell you which ones are looking for shortstops. Tell me, tell me which teams. I could tell, te- tell you what team that needs a shortstop. The Mets. The Yankees. Yeah. Well, they... That- oh, do oh, you finally want to move Glaber to second base? I want Glaber Torres to not play in the field. Okay, thank God. I finally found somebody that, that agrees with me. How is he... How is nobody going to notice that he cannot make a play? Oh, Sam, I think it's beyond noticeable at this point, and it's honestly terrifying. I mean, they have given him plenty of reps, and I mean plenty of reps, at second base and shortstop. He seems to struggle with simply fielding the ball at both positions. That's problem number one. Problem number two, 
is he does not have an accurate arm. I, you know, I, I accept the fact that he is a very, very talented young hitter. And that's a huge plus. And the good news is one of the things that you, in theory, can teach someone how to do is field more cleanly and throw more accurately. But by gosh, over the course of three years, it seems like he's actually getting worse at fielding. And I would honestly say make Glaber your full-time DH. But unfortunately, the Yankees have a half a dozen guys they have to DH because none of them can stay exactly. healthy. Yeah, what's going on? You've got Talkman, you've got Voigt, you've got Stanton, you've got Gary Sanchez. Who Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez is going to get traded. Or or if he or if he keeps it up, he might get honestly put on waivers or released. Yeah, I mean, I guarantee you. I and you know, I know this isn't free agency, and we're not doing tons of predictions, but we're talking some offseason moves here. I mean, I think the Yankees are going to try hard to trade Gary Sanchez, and if that means giving up one of the better looking young players they have, so be it. He is never. I don't. I think at this point, given three years of watching it, he is never going to return to his 2017 form where he was the best offensive catcher in the league and provided serviceable defense. I think both of those aspects of his game are gone. And to be honest, I think if they signed a guy like James McCann or traded for somebody like one of the Yankee trade rumors I was hearing was a trade with the Colorado Rockies where they send Gary Sanchez and others as well, not just Gary Sanchez, I believe to Colorado for outfielder, David Dahl and catcher, Tony Walters. And the idea there. You platoon the lefty hitting Walters and the righty hitting Kyle Higashioka. I guarantee you those two would make for way better offensive and defensive production than Sanchez. And David Dahl's a nice sweetener. But Gary Sanchez will not be a Yankee 12 months from now. I, I tend to agree with you on that. Well, because here's the thing. He's li- I mean, he's basically hitting half of his weight. Like, that's what he was hitting last year. That would be great if he weight. and it would be great if he weighed, you know, 600 pounds. Unfortunately, he doesn't. But I think career he's without looking at it do you do you know what his career slugging percentage and ops are ballpark range what does that mean like, like just give me a ballpark what do you think oh, is oh, career okay. slugging career oh, OPS i thought you were looking for like a specific number like uh i would say his career slugging percentage is i would go with 460 career ops 760 Harrison, do you have any? Oh, I've got fan graphs pulled up, so I can... Oh, okay, that. well, his career slugging is 502, and his career OPS is 823. So, I think that's fine. Career 117 WRC+, plus, but he... Look at his, la- look at his last yeah. four years. It's a game of two players. If, if this were an actual year, this it, it would probably be closer to what you said. Yeah, I mean, his his last four seasons are a tale of two players. In 2017 and 19, he looks like a top... 10, maybe even top five catcher in the league, simply just because of what he brings with the bat. And then in the even years, he looks like a player you would release. And unfortunately, at this point, at this point, the Yankees just can't hedge their bets on the odd year Gary Sanchez coming back, not with Higashioka doing a solid job, not with three catchers drafted in the last couple of years in the top two rounds. The All the signs are pointing to Gary Sanchez needing to be traded. He's the one, you know, baby bomber piece from that, you know, whole phenomenon four or five years ago. He's the one that the Yankees are way too attached to. He's got to go. He still hits the ball hard, though. He still has. Yeah, that's great. That's the problem. He doesn't doesn't walk. He doesn't hit the ball. He doesn't walk. He really does not walk. Career high in walks is 46. And I mean, I'm again, I'm going to do a little bit of quick math right here. Turn into like a Zunino. Yeah, but the one th- Mike Zanino, Zanino can field. My, yeah, Zanino Mike can actually catch. defensive catcher, obviously. 
and also not to mention that I, I his strikeout numbers have not been great in the past, but in limited playing time, you know, 156 at bats, he struck out 41% of the time. You just when you're doing that and batting a buck 47 and fielding poorly, you you are he he's kind of like the Robbie Ray of catchers. He has no leverage and no evidence to back up keeping him or paying him what he thinks he wants. He yeah. oh no he's not. I was about to say I think he's a free agent next year, but I don't think he is. I think he's got two more. Yeah, I think he has two more he's years. Free agent in twenty twenty three actually. Really? Yeah. So... Well, because he's a catcher, he hasn't played many games. Yeah. Oh, did twenty sixteen? I guess twenty sixteen didn't count. He didn't play enough games in twenty sixteen. And yeah, he only played fifty games. Uh, his career high in games played is 122 which, which is, is not, not great it's not horrible for a catcher but that's his career high here's the thing the yankees especially around mm-hmm. 2017 that was around the time where austin romine was starting to figure some things out at the plate and they were starting to play him more i mean the yankees they also always liked austin romine i was glad to see that they let him go he wasn't going to be worth what they were offering him but the yankees used austin romine a lot he was probably the most used backup catcher. That doesn't surprise me that Gary doesn't play a ton of games. I, I think James McCann might be the most used backup catcher. Yeah, yeah. I guess now. I, f- I always forget that they have James McCann and Yasmani Grandal. That's so strange. They don't need both of them. They didn't. Well, I mean, is this is this great guy who I think is a great guy for your locker room. And not only that, but has consistently been one of the best framing catchers in baseball and one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. And McCann... I think McCann is a little overrated. I think I, we've mentioned this a little earlier, but I think he's not that incredible of a hitter. He has one of the best arms. He's one of the best catchers. If you if you want a catcher who's not super old and won't cost you a ton of money, short two, maybe max three-year deal, he is a much he is the guy to talk to. Listen, he was great last year in limited games. He played 31 games. He had a great WRC plus. It was 144 which was by far his career high. But I don't know. With That kind of production from him is sort of like he was very inconsistent in the minors. Sometimes he was really good. Sometimes he was really terrible. But I don't know if I buy on him doing it again is what I'm trying to say, I guess. I think for a team out there that's desperate enough for a catcher, they're willing to take that risk. And at the very least, they get his good defense. Yeah, I- He had 1.2 war last year, which is over 30 games. Yeah, that's pretty. That's insane. Catcher. Yeah, listen, if he can, if he is going to play every game for you, then I think that's impressive. But it might be the kind of guy who is a backup catcher, but like a really top-notch backup catcher who can maybe kind of cut it as your main catcher. I don't know. One hundred nine WRC plus in one hundred eighteen games played in twenty nineteen. Fifty seven WRC plus in the same amount of games played the year before with the Tigers. I don't know. I guess we'll see from him. But yeah, he's already 30 years old, though. So that does scare me a little bit. He's been in the league forever. He, he what are you talking about? What? In the minors forever, I should say. He was dra- He was drafted, what, like? 2011. Yeah. So I guess, like, yeah. So I guess technically as long as, like, Lindor and Correa and that bunch. But I don't know. So, I mean, one other player that I wanted to talk about, and then, you know, I mean, we'll get to the other players or teams that you guys wanted to cover because I know there's plenty of more. <laughs> we, we talked about how this is an underwhelming free agency class, and yet we've had more than plenty to talk about, which I absolutely love. But you brought up the uh, Korean free agent, Ha Seong Kim, and I actually wanted to bring up another international free agent and w- where he might sign, and that's 
if he gets posted, Japanese pitcher Tomoyuki Sugano, best pitcher in Japan. And there's, I mean, he's 31 years old, so he's certainly no spring chicken, but I think he's a much more interesting and much more worthwhile player to spend money on, even though he's six years older. Yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to think that pitchers do a lot better in Japan than in the United States. Um, and they kind of, I've never really, the only one I've really ever bought in on was Yu Darvish because he had a high strikeout rate in Japan. Oh, his stuff was incredible. It was, it was really easy to see. Masahiro Tanaka has, I mean, I know I, I ripped him to shreds, so I'm not going to try to defend him too much right now. But I mean, he, when he first came to the league, he did have a really strong first three years in the league and all told he really has been a well above he has been an above average pitcher more often than not yeah i think a, i think a closer comparison you can make if we're going to talk about sugano is hiroki kuroda kuroda was also in his mid 30s when he signed kuroda was never the best starting pitcher in the league but man was he consistent his era ranged from 3.07 to 3.76 every single one of his 7 years in the league he for the last four, five years of his career with LA and the Yankees, never got hurt, super consistent. I think if Sugano turned out to be somebody like that, that kind of production, I would pay for that. Yeah, this is incredible to look at his stats right now. Sugano? No, uh, Kuroda. It's literally just like the same season. It's seven times in a row. Seriously, I mean, it's amazing how consistent he was. Especially that he came, especially considering that he came to the league at 33 and pitched that consistently until he was 40. So Sagona is this guy who's got what, like a fastball in the very low 90s, but he has like a bunch of great pitches, really good control, 1.7 walks per nine innings, which is really good. Kind of reminds me of Kenta Maeda a little bit, who is 32 now. He was 27, I believe, when he came over from Korea. So is that the kind of guy who we're seeing in Sagona? He's, he came from Japan. Maeda was from Japan? Okay, then. Yeah. Yeah, Maeda was Japan. Okay. So I think that's interesting is like maybe a possible comparison of like a similar because that's what I've been really impressed with. Like even like Dice K, which I can imagine Sam has some painful memories of Dice K. But I don't have many painful memories of Dice K. I mean, yeah, he he walked a lot of guys, but he struck out a lot of guys. Yeah, just in him like not living quite up to the hype. But uh I feel like in two thousand seven when he first came over, his rookie year, he lived up to the hype. He won he won a World Series with us. That was a lot of fun. Just maybe not like, what was it, like six years, like 150 million or something like that? I don't think it was that much. Wasn't, I mean, I, you know, Dice K was probably the first pitcher of, of the 21st century. He was probably the first pitcher to come over from Japan that the whole league was excited to see. You know, it's kind of like what we saw. The only other one I could think of who came before him with that much excitement was Hideo Nomo. I was going to say Chanho Park. Yeah. Also, Chanho Park wasn't from Japan. Oh, he was Korea. That was right. That's right. He's Korea. He also was a terrible pitcher. Matsuza, Dice K was six years, 52 million. It's just like back in the day, six years, 52 million feels like six years, 152 million right now. I remember seeing that. Tomoyuki Sagano is not going to get that much money at his age. I mean, he's not going to get a, he's not going to get 150. The posting fee for Dice K was also 51 million. So the Red Sox did end up paying over 100 million to sign Dice K. That's, I hate this idea. I hate the posting fees. I didn't even realize that it was $51 million. What? It's because you're taking away a player from his team. Yeah. I realized that, but it's imagine like you, sign him, money. you sign him for $52 million. 
You have to pay that much money just to talk to the guy? Well, think of it like this, I guess. Um, let's say you're the Red Sox and you want to sign, uh, or let's say you're a team that you want to sign Sugano, and they're like, okay, uh, send us maybe uh, your fourth best prospect or something. No, you're not going to send your like fourth best prospect to Japan. Like, hey, boss, you're going to Japan. It's Have not, fun. That's, that's not a thing you do. And so they do this all the time, like in transfer fees and like the Premier League and the, the other leagues in, in soccer and everything like that. And so it's because you can't trade someone there. So you pay them the equivalent of what you do. So it's, it's you're buying his rights but you also need to negotiate a contract with him because his contract is going to be different when you get him. It's like a really convoluted version of the sign and trade, I guess. The sign and trade. It's a a convoluted version of Babe Ruth's trade. Well, maybe you could say that. But anyway, yeah. Um, I wanted to get to, so we know who like the best uh, players are in this offseason. It's going to be guys like Marcus Semien, well, if he recovers, but it's also going to be guys like Liam Hendricks, as like Trevor Bauer, Nelson Cruz is going to get a decent amount of money. But I wanted to see if we could identify players who might have resurgences and might be good targets, whether in free agency or trade. Okay, so the pitchers with the three biggest differences in 2019 between their WOBA and their ex-WOBA, meaning their underlying stats showed that they actually were a lot better than they should have been, according to Baseball Savant, Mitch Keller, uh, Edwin Diaz, and Corbin Burns. Their ERAs in 2019, 713 for Keller, 559 for Edwin Diaz, and 882 for Corbin Burns. Pretty bad, right? Mm-hmm. In 2020, again, these are the three worst guys, uh, not worst guys, but three biggest differences between Woba and ex-Woba in 2019. 291 ERA for Keller in, 20, in 2020. He did outperform his stats a little bit. He did walk a few too many guys. But Edwin Diaz had a 175 ERA, the second best strikeout percentage in baseball behind the incredible Devin Williams. And Corbin Burns, as you must know, had an ERA of 211, was the best starters in baseball, had flashed a really great fastball, really great curveball, and seems to be like a relatively dominant force for the Brewers in the future. So that seemed to live, that seemed to kind of live up to that, right? So in 2020, the pitchers with the biggest difference between their WOBA and their ex-WOBA were Trevor Rogers, who is a top prospect. He actually was called up a year early. He's probably going to stay put. It seems like that, that's not a guy who leaves. Michael Waka, Cy Sneed, Dwayne Underwood Jr., Caleb Ferguson, Jeffrey Springs, and Paul Fry. And I'm going to go through these guys quickly. So, yeah. Fer- Ferguson's not going to play next year. Why not? Oh, Tommy Fer- John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ferguson, yeah, Ferguson was very good last season. He actually was one of the better relief pitchers in baseball. Let's hope that when he comes back, he'll still be as good, but we'll see. Cy Snead was not on the Astros postseason roster, so I would say he's absolutely available. And he's a guy who always flashed decent stuff as a reliever and also as a starter. So he could be a guy who ends up on the waiver wire when the Astros try to add their Rule 5 guys. So maybe he could be um, a guy to take a look at. Uh, Dwayne Underwood Jr., is likely going to be available. Uh, Jeffrey Springs, this guy kind of sucks. His XERA was still over five. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, he's a Red Sox pitcher. Yeah, he sucks. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, are, are you going to argue with me on that? I mean, all of our pitchers suck, but like, to their defense, they always get put in in horrible situations. Well, because it's always a horrible situation. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. And then, and Paul Fry uh, is in this. 
I would say he's in the same situation as Ferguson, except Paul Fry is not having Tommy Johns. I think Paul Fry is this guy. He's on the Orioles. I know he's in the Marlins now. Paul Fry got tr- Paul Fry got traded. Right? Are we talking about the same Paul Fry? I, I know there's Paul Orioles. Fry and Jace Fry. Paul Fry is on the Orioles. Huh? Who did yeah. the Orioles traded some somebody to the Marlins? Some reliever to the Marlins? Not Paul Fry. Paul Fry is still on the team. Somebody uh, look it up. Somebody. I just looked it up. I don't know who they traded, but he's on the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. No, somebody look up who they trade. But anyway, so yeah, Paul Fry, I don't think is going to be tradable. But I, I missed one guy. I did mention Michael Walker. Michael Walker is the only free agent out of all of these guys. Walker last year, I don't know. I, I, neither of you guys are Mets fans, but were you paying any attention to Michael Walker on the Mets? He was okay, not fantastic. Didn't even pay the. I uh, didn't even pay the slightest bit of attention to the man. Yeah, so Michael Walker is interesting. He had the best strikeout rate and the best walk rate of his career last year. Like he's not a number one. But he might be a good number five. Obviously, the Mets took a flyer on him the previous year, and it didn't really work out because the ERA was kind of high. But he might actually Richard Blyer. I think that's who they traded the Marlins. That, okay. That's the guy. That I don't even know who that man is. Um, the issue is Walker. Is miles an hour. You don't have to worry about him. Yeah, he's. I mean, if the Marlins can fix him, then I mean, like, props to them. But I don't really know. But yeah, so Walker's fastball gets crushed, and he's no good breaking pitches. <laughs> <laughs> all he throws is a fastball there's <laughs> a fastball um, a sinker and a changeup but the changeup is a very good pitch it's got an expected batting average of 198 and like there's a question of what happens if uh, he learns a new pitch obviously he was not as good as everyone thought he was after like he joined the Cardinals I think like a year after he got drafted and was in the postseason pitching for him but nevertheless I think he could have a decent like second half of his career if he ends up in the right situation, is with the right pitching coach, and maybe follows Pitching Ninja on Twitter or something and learns uh, an actually good breaking pitch to throw because he's never really had a very good one. Eh. Again, these are not guys who you're breaking the bank on. These are guys who you sign for the bare minimum, just like, oh, he could be okay. Yeah, so I think there's more, there's better options than that. Like Kevin Gaussman or Taiwan Walker or even somebody like Garrett Richards. Oh, no, no, no. Everyone else is a better option. This, he is not anywhere close to a top 50 free agent. He's not, a, I don't think he's a top 100 free agent. But I'm just saying, is like the kind of guy who you pick up, it may be invite to spring training and he's better than you might assume he is, even though you think he might be washed up. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Waka. If I'm Michael Waka and I'm listening to this podcast and taking that as inspiration to do my the best I can to learn a, a slider. But I don't know, we'll see. And so then so here are the in 2019, here are the batters with the biggest differences between Xwoba and Woba. These are for guys with an Xwoba above 350. If you didn't have it above there, I don't think you were all that good to begin with. Marcelo Zuna. Okay, we mentioned this on the pod with Mike Petrelio. Way, way back in like, Sam, when was that? That must have been in February or January. Yeah. So way back then, I mentioned that Marcelo Zuna had the biggest difference and could be a breakout hitter. Uh, what was Marcelo Zuna's WRC Plus this past year? Like probably 150, 160. It was 179. And he's a free agent this year. Sign him, obviously. Justin Smoke and CJ Crone. Uh, Smoke and Crone are probably too slow. Crone did have an 894 OPS in 52 plate appearances, so maybe not that great. Dansby Swanson, Evan Longoria, and Mookie Betts. We know that Mookie Betts had a little bit of a, didn't have like his best season in 
2019 and then had 149 WRC plus and three wins above replacement for the Dodgers in 2020. So he obviously changed. And Dansby Swanson actually had the breakout season that we predicted for him. So yeah, he had a 116 WRC plus. He trailed off a little bit at the end, but it was all right. Longoria, what's funny about Longoria is that he actually ends up on both of these lists for batters with a big difference in 2019 and 2020. He was actually had the biggest difference uh, between those two in 2020, which is kind of funny. But yeah, so Evan Longoria, Carlos Santana, McGee, who might Nick, those guys might be the next Cronin Smoke. Bryce Harper, who had an ex-WOBA of 435 last season. Max, Munth- Max Muncy and Jay Cronenworth. Ah, Jay Cronenworth. Yeah, so Max Muncy might be the kind of guy who the Dodgers are like, well, he was all right next year. You know what? Maybe keep him around. He's going to be pretty good. Bryce Harper is someone who... If I, you know, if you're, if you're yeah. thinking about releasing him, don't. Yeah, no, no, but, but no, if you're trying to predict who, uh, an MVP, the MVP might be next year, I think Bryce Harper and Juan Soto should be the top of your list in the National League instead of guys like Tatis or Junior. The beauty of Bryce Harper is that he can win MVP of the National League and the Phillies will still finish at 500. Oh, absolutely. They'll still, still win finish with exactly 80 wins. Listen, if Juan Soto plays the whole season, it's not like, he brings the Nationals to a playoff spot, obviously, but at the same time, Soto was easily the best player in baseball last year. Every when he was actually playing, but here, I mean, the Phillies just don't don't have a bullpen. I, I'm pretty sure they like have like gar- your best walled option, off their, 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 best their bullpen. Is, their best option is Hector Neris. You need to push the red button. You need to raise the red flag right then. And you need to push the siren button because siren is Neris spelled backwards. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good. That's crazy. Yeah. A team that might need to sign someone like Liam Hendricks, but it's probably not going to split. Wait, you just blew my mind with that. Really? Yeah, I never realized that. That's hilarious. All Honestly, right. I, like Hector, I like Hector Nera so much more now because of that. I know. I like. I thought of it like a year and a half ago, and I'm like, man, this guy's ru- this guy's awesome. Should should that just be his walk up music? Uh, just a siren. Yeah, just like just blaring in Citizens Bank Park. Just every time he comes out of the bullpen, there's a siren going on. You're like, uh oh, uh oh, Phillies are gonna blow it. And then you see him like looking at himself in a mirror, and it like it's his jersey, and it says like siren. <laughs> All right, but this is the guy that I wanted to get to, as like the ultimate buy low candidate. You guys remember Gregory Polanco? Oh God, don't please don't sell me on Gregory. No, this is not gonna happen. I am not buying stock on Gregory Polanco. He is a pumpkin. He is cooked. He's done. Okay. Gregory Polanco did not have an ex-WOBA above 350 last year, but he did have the biggest difference between WOBA and ex-WOBA of all hitters in baseball. Of what? Zero to like 120? All right. Okay. The, the first sentence I have. Polanco was the Gary Sanchez yeah. outfielders. The, Sam, the first line I have in my notes for Polanco is Gregory Polanco sucked last year. Uh, yeah. So Polanco sucks. It's not just last year. He sucks. No. I, um, okay. He's never been good. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. So Gregor Polanco had a K percentage of an astonishing 37.4% last year. That's, That's like if you if everyone <laughs> faced with Shane Bieber, basically. But that was one of the worst in the league. But do you know what Gregor Polanco was near the top of the league in? Walk percentage. No. Uh, hard hit percentage, exit velocity, etc. He actually had an outs above average uh, in the 89th percentile. Not a great jump, though. But here's the question. Here's the question. So, obviously, yes, he was terrible last year. He was terrible. He was god-awful. Do you know what the his worst K percentage 
was at before the 37.4% from all his stops from the minors through uh, 2019? I'm going to say 27.9%. 21.9%. That was in 2019. And actually, before that, it was never higher than 20.5%. That so, doesn't change the fact that even though his strikeout rate nearly doubled in 2020, his offensive production stayed pretty much nil. Okay, well, how about we look at this? He's so, so wildly average. He's go, over, go over to his baseball savant, look at zone contact percentage. He's got a relatively high zone contact percentage in the mid-80s for the first four years and 78%, and then it drops down to 67.1%. 67% zone contact percentage. That's really bad. The MLB average is 82.8%. That's really terrible. And his chase percentage, it's in like the 60s for his first few years, and it's in the high 50s, and it's in the mid 40s, and then it's 40.4% in 2020. His chase contact percentage, uh, it, that was 40%. The average MLB is a little under 60%. That's also really, really bad. If you look up Greggy Polanco swinging, uh, on pitches middle middle, you will realize that he struck out more than nearly anybody else in baseball on pitches like that. That's really bad. Only only makes you ask, what the heck is he looking for? But here's the thing about Polanco. He's like I said, he's a good defender. He has been a good hitter in the past. But do you know what Gregory Polanco had before 2020, before the 2020 season started? Speed. COVID nineteen. Do you know what also happened? He bruised his ribs in a collision. You know what also happens if you look at him swinging on those pitches? He looks like he's hurt. And he did get, okay, you might laugh, but he got a little better in September as it he probably would recovering from uh, getting his ribs bruised in a collision with his teammate and also, I don't know, having coronavirus. It was 42% in July and August, and it was only 32% in September and October. What was 42 to 32? His strikeout rate. His strikeout rate was, went from, it dropped by 10 percentage points. Uh, from well, it went uh, from August horrifying to terrible. Yes, he has a team-friendly contract, which has one year left at seven million plus two club options. That's not team-friendly. <laughs> That's not team-friendly at all. <laughs> You're telling me that I have to accept a seven million seven million dollars for a guy who, even though he faced a lot of good pitching in 2020 with the weird scheduling, he was one of, if not the worst hitters in baseball. You're telling me that I have to spend that much money on a reclamation project? A player who's not a player who's not durable, even when he was healthy, was missing games, and somebody that the Pittsburgh Pirates have been waiting nearly a decade to have an MVP or at least All Star caliber year, and they've been left waiting. What more do you think you're going to get from him? Um, he can hit the ball really hard. If I had to pay him the major league minimum, then I'd take him in a heartbeat. But I have to pay him 14 times the minimum. He's only 29. He just only turned 29. 29. That's not a, that's not that young. Yeah, you said he's so he's already 30 to somebody. And... He still is a league average hitter for his career. And last season was actually when he did make contact. It was some of the best in baseball. The, also, Once again, it's easily, Gary Sanchez all over again. Very, but no, but it was also... Success in five years, hitter. terrible in even years. Gary Sanchez's exit velocity was not very different from last year and in previous years. But Gregory Polanco's actually jumped to, from, to 93%. The thing about Polanco is... With a little, with better pitch selection, and if that contact percentage goes up, like let's say his, let's say suddenly after in next spring training, he's actually in great shape and he feels perfectly healthy. That's actually a guy who I'd be like, yeah, I could have him as a fourth outfielder. I might start him. 
but physical appearance doesn't necessarily correlate to better plate discipline. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's not necessarily his plate discipline. Again, it's the contact percentage. He can't hit what he's swinging at. Obviously, yeah, his chase rate went up a little bit. <laughs> he just can't hit it. That's not good. I'm That's saying. What you're telling me to I'm take saying, on seven million dollars for. I'm saying his swing might be the issue because he's been hurt. Because he's <laughs> using it. <laughs> Again, I don't think he's like this guy who you got to sell the farm for. I'm saying if you call up the pirates and say, hey, I've got this uh, guy in single A who um, isn't doing real, isn't doing a lot. And the pirates will be like, oh, my God, are you serious? You're giving us a prospect for Gregory Polanco? I'm okay with that. I mean, Wait, they already did that with Austin. Me- oh, they already did it with Austin Meadows. I'm not. I'm not trying to have it happen again. Listen, I I would do that. I would make a trade like that if the Pirates were willing to pay over ninety percent of that contract. It's just so horrible. It's seven million dollars. That's a lot of money, especially okay. considering, considering especially that the league is eight point three billion dollars in debt, and almost every team has less money to spend than more. Why on earth would anybody be willing to throw $7 million onto the table at a guy who, just like Gary Sanchez, has all the chips stacked up against him? Okay. All I'm saying is... I really can't tell if you're making an argument for why I should or shouldn't go for this guy. (laughs) If Michael Walker and Gregory Polanco do anything of note next season, you... I am 100% certain that you heard it here first. I cannot. I think, I, I think you're getting cocky because you got Swanson and Ozuna that you're just going straight for the trash and finding guys that might have <laughs> I league would, average I'm seasons. Sorry, but I, Harrison, you got to quit while you're ahead. I don't know. I mean, sometimes you get Ozuna and Swanson. Sometimes you get Robert Stevenson. You win some, you lose some. Sometimes you uh, get hooked to the wrong uh, horse. But James Karen, Chuck. What you have with Gregory Polanco. What? Sounds like you got hooked on the wrong horse with Polanco. If Polanco has a WRC plus at of 100 next season, I think you guys owe me an apology. But isn't that a problem that you're willing to make all you're yeah. talking about in this much? And you, you know, you have again. I, I have to refer back to that amount of money because it's not small. And he has a he he has a literally a literally average season. And we have to break out the champagne. Yay! He was average. <laughs> that's not that's not good. Oh. Oh no, we suck again. <laughs> I think that he and Waka might actually be above average. Might be above average next year. This is again. This is less likely than someone like Marcelo Zuna, who was one of the better hitters and young hitters in baseball when he was on Miami, or Dansby Swanson, who was the number one overall pick in the draft and it was never like bad. He was just hurt. This is these are less likely, but guys. No, Trevor Rogers. Trevor Rogers is the kind of guy who, like, later on, before next season, like, watch out for Trevor Rogers. He might have had a bad debut season, but everyone's saying good stuff about him. Or well, he's coming like, off a debut season. He's coming off one year. Gregory Polanco is coming off a seven-year career where his OPS plus was under one hundred in five of the seven years, including the last two. Of course, I'm just trying to find very, very like bottom of the barrel kind of guys for this offseason. Yes, but Trevor Rogers, as you just pointed out, you if you went after a guy like Trevor Rogers, he's on a. You're not getting Trevor Rogers. You're not getting Trevor Rogers. He made his debut last year. I'm saying that Trevor Rogers is the kind of guy who might be pretty good for the team that he's on. Bryce Harper, I think, is going to be really incredible for the team that he's on. Polanco and Walker are guys who like or Sice need too are guys who are going to be free agents. 
or really easily available. And so if you if there's a guy who like specifically you know that he underperformed in the previous year and you think he can get better, those are the kind of guys that you should be targeting after you go after the the people who you know are going to at least give you some decent depth. That's Brandon all. Bianco should only get looked at when the Pirates tell you they'll pay. Honestly, the Pirates would d- probably pay for him to go away. So He'd be more valuable to them if he wasn't on their team. Yeah, and so that's what I'm saying. You can get Gregory Polanco for the other team's peanuts. So that's all I'm saying about that. Yeah. You guys have anyone else you want to talk about? Any teams that you want to touch on? We've hit the Mets. We've done a lot of Yankees, done a lot of NL East. But anyone else exciting this offseason? Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, you guys know I'm a you guys know I'm a Yankee fan, and I, I all I have to say, the Yankees are going to have a lot of starting pitching issues to resolve, and that's no secret. But I am just hoping, praying, doing anything else possible to motivate the outcome that they sign DJ LeMahieu back. I mean, I know that, you know, I talked about him. I know that we've talked about him a little bit, but I said it and I'll say it again. He has been the MVP of the Yankees each of the last two years. I realize he's not that young. I believe next year will be his age 33 season, but you give this guy a three or a four year deal with maybe an option, three years with an option for a fourth, something like that. Yeah. You have to do it. I also think this might, this might be a little bit of a hot take, I think the Yankees are going to sign Angelton Simmons or Didi Gregorius to a one-year deal. Just like a shortstop who actually can play. Gregorius, I don't think, is going to go back to New York. I think he said that he doesn't really want to go back to New York. But then Simmons, fine. I, I can totally Simmons, see. Simmons, I think, would be fine because you can bat him eighth or ninth, and he is an exponential, maybe a, a double exponential. That's not a thing, but my he is such an improvement on defense over Glaber Torres that it it has to be done. The Yankees were underratedly, maybe this wasn't even that underrated. They were much better in the playoffs than in the regular season, but the Yankees were one of the worst defensive teams in the league last year. And you need to do anything to fix that. I think what the Yankees should do, sign Simmons for one year, and then they've got to get one of those free agent shortstops next in the following year. But in terms of 2020, sign a shortstop and pay DJ. Give DJ LeMahieu whatever he wants. However many Brinks trucks it will take, drive them straight to his house. I think he'll want to come back. He said, again, that he does want to come back to the Yankees. And it's the right kind of match. It's it's weird because with most of these guys, you could see them going anywhere. But DJ LeMahieu, no, it doesn't seem like other teams are really even talking about him because I think he's a classic Yankee. Of course, you could have Cashman saying, well, we spent so much money on Garrett Cole last year. We don't really want to do it, especially in a pandemic. But I think he's the kind of guy who they spend the rest of their space on. Yeah, I agree. Sam, you got anything else for us? No, I'm just excited for this offseason to be over so we can get to the next one. Next offseason? So you want the this offseason gone? You want uh, 2021 played just so we can see uh, where Trevor's story goes? Yeah, that's the only thing. I, I just I, I don't care about anything else. And so before we go, any trades you guys would be excited to see happen? This offseason, obviously, Francisco Lindor would be a good one. Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant, Chris Bryant to the Braves. Chris, Chris Bryant, Bryant to the Braves. That would be a good one. Any pitchers you guys see possible? Lance Lynn? I want to I see the Yankees make a trade for a starting pitcher, but I saw a, uh, a column from Joel Sherman from the New York Post that outlined five possible offseason trades the Yankees could make. Two of them were for starting pitchers, and 
neither of them, neither of them seemed worth it. Who were they? I'm trying to pull it up right now. I know that one was Lance Lynn. One trade target was Lance Lynn. And Lance Lynn is very good. But he's 33 years old, injury risk, more mileage he's on his own. injury risk. I like, I like Lance Lynn. I think he is actually one of the better starters in the American League right now. He's going to be a free agent after next season. He's owed only $8 million. If he's given like several war in each of the past couple of years, if he gives you even one win of a replacement in 2021, that's already a win. I think he's going to give you closer to like three or four. Maybe. I mean, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find these trades. I know that one was Lan- one involved uh, trading for Lance Lynn. The other involved trading for Miami's Pablo Lopez. So Luke Voigt and Miguel Andujar to the Marlins for Pablo Lopez. I think that's a huge oversell for Lopez. The other was Clint like Frazier, Jonathan Loizaga to the Rangers for Lance Lynn. The Yankees should not that. trade Clint Frazier. I hate both of those deals. That, all right. I like both of those deals, but I'm not a Yankees fan, so I don't know if the homework glasses are a good or a bad thing in this kind of situation. All right. I don't see the point of either of those yeah. deals. It's I guess if you want a pitcher. I don't know. You kind of need a picture of the Yankees and you want to win the World Series. But all right. So we got to go for this week. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Next, we're going we're gonna to talk about the NBA. We should have a fun or at least interesting enough MLB offseason ahead of us. And thank, thank you once again, Daniel, for coming on. And we will talk to you guys next week.